Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, believe it or not, we have the guest of the first podcast that I ever listened to. The first podcast episode I ever listened to was starring Colin Spector at the time he was running sales at Namely, leading HRIS platform. And today he's running sales at Orem HQ. And we're going to go through some gnarly role plays today. Nick, why should people listen? Colin takes us through best practices from the very first discovery call all the way through dealing with competitors, showing a killer demo, and then negotiating with the customer. Let's check this one out. Three, two, one, a killer show. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. All right, Colin, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. Let's get your three. Awesome. Thanks for having me here, guys. 
So number one, inoculate common objections. Your competition will be planting landmines when your prospective buyers are speaking with them. So if you're early in the evaluation, or even if you know, you're number two or three, you can bet that your competition has already planted landmines about your services, your product. So if you can get in front of those landmines and, and inoculate those potential objections in that conversation early, you're going to see more success or, or at least resonate the message better for those potential buyers. Very nice. What's number two, Colin? Number two, voicemail drops. So this is around, this is around prospecting, this is around outbound cold calling, emailing, sequencing, cadences, include voicemail drops in your outbound sales campaigns. What is a voicemail drop? So voicemail drop is leaving strategic voicemails at different steps in your outbound motion. So if you have, let's say a 10 step sequence or cadence, dropping a voicemail at least three times referencing other channels that you're hitting them on will help increase the total reply rate we've seen between five and 10%. So a voicemail drop going in lockstep with an email, a voicemail drop going in lockstep with a LinkedIn, or in some cases, if you're doing direct mail, like on a Sendoso, or you're doing like a cupcake drop back when we had offices and we're doing those, uh, a voicemail drop asking if they, if they had received that, that package as well. So highly recommend. Awesome. What's number three, Colin? Number three, open your discovery or your qualification calls with why are we here? Why now? Even if it was scheduled from a cold call, right? Oftentimes you get in there, you, you uh, thank them for joining, but understanding why they were willing to invest their time. Time is precious. I'm sure you see it all, all the time on LinkedIn. We're competing for attention constantly. Why was that person willing to jump on yet another Zoom call with you to invest some of that time? And even if they're complimenting the, the cold outreach and the cold message that you had sent or your SDR had sent to, to get that scheduled, there is a real reason why they were willing to invest their precious time with you. So always start the conversation there. Hey, I know we reached out to you guys cold. I know my SDR did a great job get, getting this conversation scheduled, but curious, so why were you willing to meet with us today? Why now? And just those, those simple questions, starting with why, as, as you may have heard from other folks, can lend to a successful opening to the rest of the conversation there. So Colin, I totally agree with you. And I think Nick does the same thing where our first disco question is always, why did you take the call? You don't take every cold call you get. Why are you here? But a lot of people say, "Eh, tell me about your business priorities. And you're like, who the heck is this guy to even ask me about my business priorities? You just called me out of the blue. So could you tell me what happens after that? When people tell you why they took the call, you might be blindsided with something completely different in your disco that you wouldn't expect. Where do you take your disco calls from there? To the point you made, right? You don't always have the best notes leading into those discovery calls, or maybe you're going from back to back. Hopefully you're not doing that. Hopefully you're always doing the prep work on the person you're speaking with, especially in a a discovery call. But asking them, once you figure out, hey, why are you willing to take the call? I mean, you can follow that up with, how familiar are you with what we do here at your company? In my case, Orem. So how familiar are you with what, what we do here at Orem? Well, to be honest, not, not too familiar. I, I can't remember why I, I took the meeting. That could be something they say in an example like what you're uh, alluding to. So just understanding, well, hey, you go in a bit of an introduction into what you guys do, what your product is. In our case, hey, we're a conversation platform, helps your sales team get more live conversations over the phone. I'm always curious, what are you guys doing today for prospecting, right? Go into the business process or problem that, that you solve for. So get, you're starting to uncover 
what the current state of the union is at that at that company. So start the high level. Hey, what are you guys doing today for uh, prospecting? What does a day in the life look like? You guys doing cold calls, emails, LinkedIn, and uh, get them talking about their current process. And that can usually open the door to discovering if there's pain they have yet to identify. So I want to talk about this, if there's pain they've yet to identify. One of the things that's tough about asking process questions is they'll say like, yeah, I have my SDRs find 50 accounts a week. They sequence all the contacts. They do mostly emails. Uh, they do some calls here and there just because not the best use of time. And you know, we're, we're a pretty successful team. How do you get me to realize that I have latent pain or unrealized pain without being like, yo, like, wake up, this, this part of your business is on fire, dude. Absolutely. It's a, it's a good question. I mean, with, with, if they're responding with an answer like that, yeah, we're, we're seeing success. We're doing some calls, we're doing some emails, we're doing some LinkedIn. We don't do a ton of calls because it, it takes a lot of time. The question you guys asked there, I mean, they said that we're successful. Well, I'm curious. I mean, how, what does success look like for you guys? Are, is everybody hitting quota today? If they're saying, yeah, every, everything's great. Yeah. We're seeing a ton of success. We do a little bit of call, a little bit of email, a little bit of LinkedIn. Okay, great. I mean, how, how many reps do you have on the team there? Oh, we've got 20 reps on the team. Oh, okay. And everybody here, there's hitting quota. So understanding like, yeah, everyone, if everyone's hitting quota and they're happy with the way things are, you're asking these questions early in the conversation. There might not be pain. <laughs> there might not be a problem to solve, right? But if they're saying, yeah, everyone hit quota last year, but my goal just went up 50% and they're not giving me budget for more headcount. So you want to figure out, okay, you're, you're gathering information. Is it there? There's a few levers that they can focus on, right? It's it's headcount, it's be more efficient with the current rep's time. And again, I'm speaking to the pain that we solve for. You obviously have in each of your respective services, the pain you solve for. Gathering all of these bits of information bit by bit, it's going to help when you start to go into prescribing potential solutions or, or helping them see the gap in the challenge you solve for. I want to talk about now when we get deeper into the process where maybe you're working in a competitive deal. And one of the things that you mentioned earlier was the landmines planted by the competition. And so I'm hoping you can detail for the listeners, like, what is a landmine? How is our competition planting one? And then what do we actually do to inoculate against it? Can you voice over like how you protect yourself from stepping on something that's going to blow your deal up? Knowing your competition and knowing the type of objections they bring up to buyers is critical. So as a seller, you should be learning as much about your competition as you know about your own product. You should know, oftentimes, you know, you'll gather that from, could be from other chorus calls or gong calls that you listen to, other AEs. Uh, your enablement team should be taking note of most common objections from each competitor, what your competition has potentially planted. Now, if they already spoke with Connect and Sell, and if they mention to Connect and Sell, oh, we're going to look at Orem, I know Connect and Sell is going to say, oh, well, Orem, they can't talk to gatekeepers for you. Or Orem, they can't get through every directory that we can. So I just get in front of that and say, okay, great. Well, you spoke with Connect and Sell, sound like a great conversation. And they probably told you we don't handle gatekeepers. They probably told you we, we don't do a good job getting through every directory that's out there. Oh, yeah, yeah, they did say that. They did mention that. Yeah, happy to talk through the pros and cons there. You should understand where your strengths can resonate with them, right? So, hey, understand, hey, they probably told you we don't handle gatekeepers. Uh, but I'm curious, what percentage of your data actually go to a gatekeeper? Are you guys mostly calling and talking to receptionists all day? No, I mean, here and there, they got to do receptionists, but we, bought, we just bought Zoom Info. Oh, you just bought Zoom Info. Oh, so you guys probably have direct dials turned on and you're enriching with great data, right? Absolutely. We just made a huge investment in Zoom Info. Okay, great. Well, 
in that case, you may not need the, the gatekeeper service as much as you might think originally, right? So further uncovering other areas where you can lend to strength. In our case, it's if you have great data, if you have dial by name directories or direct dials, will probably be a better fit in my opinion. And then of course, lending to your other strengths, right? Uh, and that could be the type of technology you have, the type of integrations, and that lends into the holistic view of what they're thinking about. So getting an idea of their state of the union of the whole workflow. Well, hey, what other solutions are you guys working with over there? Well, we have Outreach, we have Zoom Info, we have Lucia, uh, we've got Gong. Okay, great. Well, we actually plug in directly with all those solutions. And we built Orum as a technology company, first and foremost, with these integrations in mind. I mean, we're built for the modern seller. So our competition, they're fantastic service providers. They've been in the space 20, 30 years. We're just a different approach to solving a very serious problem that many uh, sales organizations face today. So Colin, I want to turn the table now. So knowing that we don't want to trash the competition, what about if you learn something talking to the buyer that like the competition's weak at and you're strong at, and like you kind of want to let them know, but you don't want to sit there and just dump on your, your competitor. What's like the artful way for you to plant a landmine? Yeah, great, great question. So at Orum, we follow a medic methodology, right? And part of medic is decision criteria. And so understanding what is their criteria for this evaluation now is part of the criteria that the solution must integrate well within our technology stack. It's that it must have an intuitive interface. It must have dedicated client success. It must deliver that core problem. It must fit in with a certain budget and pricing model. So if you go through their decision criteria and you've discovered what that decision criteria is throughout the, the call, you can better position yourself based on the strengths that you have over your competition against their decision criteria, right? That's when you're going you're gonna to resonate over your competition. If they're telling you, hey, we just invested in Zoom Info. Yeah, we rolled out outreach last year. This year, we're going on, on a, a big investment on enablement and and, and going to a deeper level there. Those for us are signals that these folks clearly care about investing in the technology that their reps interact with every day. So for us, we're gonna lean in on that. We're gonna say, hey, it sounds like, it sounds like you're someone that is investing a lot in modern technology, enabling your reps with the best experience possible when they're out there prospecting every day, reducing the chances for, for them to, to burn out or bang their head against the wall, you know, working from home, prospecting all day. So. We're happy to say we, we've built a modern solution. It's best-in-class technology that integrates with all the solutions that you, you've described. And we also have a very transparent and easy-to-follow business model. So I know you mentioned pricing is important. For us, we charge one rate. It doesn't matter how much you're using the solution. Many of our competitors, they actually charge a consumption model, right? So for them, the more dials you make, the more money they make. So they don't care if your data isn't clean or they don't care if you haven't invested in a Zoom info. For us... We want to make sure that you're able to use the solution as much as you want in any manner you want and the price doesn't change. So CFOs tend to appreciate that. I do that a lot recently. Instead of like feature selling, feature versus feature, I almost talk about the business model versus the competitor's business model. Because if you can show that your organization is incentivized in a certain direction and your competition's incentivized by their model in a different direction, features and things like that start to matter way, way less. 
So we've ripped apart the disco and now we've gotten all this ammunition on our competitors. We've talked about how the business model is different. And eventually you probably have to show this thing. And I know you have some ideas on how you should be demoing the full picture. And I'd love to hear what are you doing differently in the demo, both in a competitive and non-competitive situation? Great question. So we're big fans of discussing and demonstrating the holistic view of where our solution fits into their sales stack. So we've actually set up demo accounts with every possible integration we have. So we will demonstrate outreach, Zoom Info, Orom, Salesforce, SalesLoft, Gong. We show you the whole picture from your reps day in the life. We pull up the schedule. What are your reps doing every day? Right? That's part of our discovery questions. Well, they're going in, they're researching on LinkedIn Sales Nav, they're pulling a list or enriching it with Zoom Info. Then they throw it into Salesforce, they build a list and they select all and click sequence all. And then they start making calls. So we show them that whole experience and where Orem actually plugs in and how seamless it is throughout that process. And then we actually make some live calls. So giving that full view, doesn't matter what your solution is, if you're plugging in into some sort of life cycle, it's only going to impact that prospective buyer, right? It's going to reduce the uncertainty to a level that's going to help them understand, okay, I see this. I can see how I can live my life with this every day and, or how my people can live their lives with this every day. And so this is, sometimes this has a negative connotation, but oftentimes we call this, there's a golden path in your demos. And you should know every time you're going to start here. You know, when you get to the page where it has the big table, you're going to click on this person. You're going to ask these types of questions. And then based on what you learned in discovery, you can have multiple branch off paths. But a lot of people will just pop in the middle of the software. And when you get a question that's like, so can you show me like, what happens after you push that button or what does the whole workflow look like? Or how did this data get into there? When you get those types of questions, that means you've lost them in the middle of the forest of your software. And so I totally agree with you, Colin. On that note, I would love to understand as you're taking them through that path, what types of questions are you asking them? So it doesn't become Colin's 20 minute speech on why Orem is great. Yeah. I mean, I, I love to use the product for discovery. So in the case of Aurum, you can ask them, hey, how are your reps prospecting today? Are, are they sequencing their own leads or do you have a marketing team sequencing on their behalf? And if they're, they're sequencing on their own, I say, okay, great. Are you guys, are, are you following this process? You're, you're going here into LinkedIn, putting them in the sequence. You can actually walk them through that live on your screen. Yeah, that's exactly how we do it. Okay, great. So where we're going to come in now is once they've put them in a sequence and you click sequence now, all of those call tasks are gonna show up inside of Orem instantly. Anything that's due today or past due is gonna show up right here. So it's allowing it to be a conversational uh, versus you going through a full, it's the salesperson's show. The more you get them talking and sharing, plus a visual is gonna lend to your success, right? You got folks that are visual learners and you got folks that, are okay just hearing what you have to say as well. So I think doing that both in, in parallel, it's only, again, going to increase the chances that you'll, you'll hit the mark there. So, okay, we've talked about great discovery, competitive situations, really good demos. Now, eventually, you probably get to a point where like the customer is almost ready to buy and you're, you're going through some negotiation. And I know you have some hot takes on some best practices for negotiation. So throw them at us, Colin. Absolutely. So, so there are rules for negotiating. The first rule is make sure that you are 
the number one choice. You are the vendor of choice. You don't enter a negotiation unless you have heard from that prospective buyer, hey, it's you guys. You guys are my number one. So if they're starting to talk about pricing and terms and XYZ, and oh, can you throw in extra months, throw in extra reps, more licenses? Hey, the price is too high. Hey, I'm curious, are we are we your top choice here? I know you guys did a test drive of, of that solution, this solution and us. Are, are we the one that you want to work with before we even get into the details? If they're not saying yes, and if they're not backing that yes up with at least three whys, so I we, we, we ask them, hey, are we your top choice? Yeah, yeah. Or you guys are my top choice. Hey, why are we your top choice? Well, my reps loved it. You guys were awesome to work with. It just plugged in so easily with, with our current workflow. Like, I feel like I don't have to change my process. My sales ops team loves you. So that's why, like, I, I just see this as a better fit for the way we do things. Okay, great. Now we can get into it. But if they're like, you know, well, you're not real, you know, I don't know, you could be my top choice, but like the price is just too high. Like you're not quite there yet. Don't even negotiate. Like, well, why are they your top choice? And well, their price was lower than yours or, well, they handled the gatekeeper. You're not getting into a negotiation here. You're st- you still got to do some selling to do. You still got to figure out other ways to add value or you-, you could bow out. The worst thing you could possibly do is negotiate when you're not vendor of choice. And all they're really trying to do is use and abuse you to get a better price with your competition. I love the really intentional use of the word why there, Colin, because the word why sometimes can put a customer, like the word why naturally makes the other person have to defend where they're coming from. And normally you don't want to put the customer on the defensive, except when you're asking them to justify why you're the number one choice. When you ask them, why are we the number one choice? You are literally asking them to voice over and defend why you're number one. So let's talk a little bit about, I've heard this this rule of negotiation called give, forget. Can you explain to me how reps should be putting that into play? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Never give something away without getting something in return. Right. And it's not, it's not for selfish reasons. It's really to help the natural flow of the negotiation. Hey, if I give you better terms on, on your agreement, can I get in return a signature by the end of the month? Or can I get in return confirmation that we are your vendor of choice, right? However you want to leverage, you should have, first of all, you should have a list of what gives you're willing to give. This is something that your manager should run through with you. And if they haven't, you as a rep should create a framework for a list of gives, ideally non-monetary gives. It means nothing to do with price. And those gives can be a better, like a premium onboarding experience, maybe a free cold call training, maybe it is better payment terms on the, on the actual agreement. Maybe it is a price lock for three years. Have a list of gives that you know you can give away and that you have the autonomy to do so. And then know what you want to get, have a list of gets that you want to get in return. So the get could be an agreement by a certain period. It could be upfront payments. It could be uh, a reference or uh, a quote for the website or a video or a testimonial or, hey, I'll tell you what, I'm going to get you what you want, but can in return, can you can you be my reference? Like when I have other folks asking what makes us different, can I introduce you and you be a reference for us? So there's just some examples. All right, Colin, this has been phenomenal learnings. We got to move to our final question because we're running out on time here. So the last question is this. What is one piece of sales dogma that exists out there that you think needs to be picked up and chucked right into the trash can because it's garbage? 
this one popped in my head, sales dogma that buyers are liars. I don't know if you've heard that before. I don't think that buyers are liars. I think that we often push buyers into a corner where they feel they need to save face. And the only way to do that is lie to us. And that could be by like promising a signature by the end of the month or pushing them into a place where there's unrealistic expectations that they feel they have to lie to us, right? So that would be my kind of typical sales dogma. It's more on the buyer side, right? People are like, oh, buyers are liars. Like they promised an agreement. I, you said it was going to close this quarter. Well, my champion said they were going to close this quarter. But were you as a seller multi-threaded? Did you hear that from three or four different people? There's a lot as a salesperson you can do to remove any risk that the buyer is going to lie to you. I want to throw that expression out the window and focus more on what we can control as sellers, right? Reducing the uncertainty, reducing the risk in the deal. And there's a lot we can improve on all the time. Beautiful. Colin, anything you want to plug before we jump off here? I'm going to plug Orum. So if you go to orumhq.com, that's O-R-U-M as in mother, hq.com slash trial. We are giving away 500 calls included you just self-onboard onto our site. We will auto-discover your sequence, your cadence, or you could upload a list. Uh, if you don't want to go to your CRM, you can just upload a list. 500 calls on Orem will get you instant live conversations. And then take that data to your manager and see if we can't become partners and help you guys hit all your sales goals this year. So thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate the time. And it was a pleasure being on the show today. I love it, Colin. Thanks a lot for coming on. And everybody stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Your top four takeaways from this episode include, number one, always get in front of the pros and cons. You can say, hey, they probably told you we don't talk to gatekeepers and we probably can't get through those directories, right? That's number one. Number two is after you say that stuff, now you can start asking them questions to handle those objections and understand their business better. What percent of your dials go to gatekeepers at all? Oh, are you on Zoom info? That means you're not going to get in front of gatekeepers that often. Number three. Rule number one is you need to always be the vendor of choice before you're negotiating anything. You should not be giving away price because all you're doing is being up here. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free used for that discount so they can use you as leverage to buy somebody else. You're wasting your own time and you're wasting political capital. And then lastly, number four, 
build a list of non-monetary gives and things you want to get in return. Non-monetary gives might be premium onboarding or commercial terms or payment terms or a price lock or training, but things you can get in return is you can get them to agree to sign before the end of the month if you give that stuff away or you can get a customer reference even. And so always have your give forgets. All righty, Nick, how can people help us out today? Well, I've got a non-monetary give for you all. Look, Colin's an awesome guy, and we want him to know that the show was awesome. So if you liked Colin on today's episode, go on to LinkedIn and send Colin a friendly LinkedIn request and put something in the note. Don't try to sell him leads or something. Say, hey, man, I heard you on 30 Minutes to President's Club, and I really, really liked you. I promise he'll accept because if he doesn't, I'm going to say something to him. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next week. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.